Hey, Collaborist. I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckholtz. And you are here for season two of Collaborcast. How's it going, Jay? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back on the Collaborcast train. It's been a while. I want to quickly thank all of you who attended our 12-week How to Be a New York Times bestseller boot camp. It was a lot of fun going over craft, working one-on-one with everybody, reading their novels, giving them feedback. And post-Labor Day, we've already heard a lot of success stories with agents and six, and in one case, a seven-figure deal. So thank you to everyone who joined us over the summer for the Collaborcast Writers New York Times bestseller bootcamp. Yep, really successful. We had to take all those episodes down, though. Yeah, I mean, the the big five were basically like, you've cracked the code on how to do the publishings, and therefore, we got a, so we got a whole bunch of cease and desist letters. But if you were there for it, mm-hmm. you know, you trust know. us, it was great. It was, it was awesome. And not at all, not at all. Uh, imaginary. Yeah. yeah, not at all imaginary. <laughs> So um, I do want to uh, just welcome everyone back to CollaborCast. I know that there have been a couple of times that we said that we were going to be right back. We're just going to go to the store for some cigarettes and a Snickers bar, and then uh, you know how things go. We've been very busy, something that we'll get into later in this episode, but we're glad to be back. We've got a whole new outlook. We've got a producer joining us next week who's going to make this even better and crisper and hipper. And uh, for right now, we're just really, really glad to see you. We've got fancy microphones. Going to feel Super like we're fancy microphones right there in the room with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we're shenaniganing too much. And we know that the people don't like shenanigans. So I wanted to ask you, Jay, what have you been reading lately? I've been reading like a madman. That's part of what I have been doing during this uh, hiatus. Excellent. Um, currently reading Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez. Uh, one, uh, I always have one audiobook going and one physical book. Going. Which one is this? This is the audiobook. Okay. Uh, Barry Lopez is one of my favorite nonfiction authors. He writes about, oh, this is the second book of his that I've read. I read Horizon last year, the year before. He writes about place and nature and, post it's kind of in the post-colonial vein where he he really looks at the way that different knowledge systems intersect and how indigenous knowledge systems have uh, come away from those intersections much worse for wear and how much has been lost as a result of that but it's all it's all very very focused on certain places certain species this one not surprisingly is about the arctic um, so yeah, I highly recommend him to anybody interested in, in nature, in, in, in mankind's impact on nature. And we should all be interested in that. Yes. And he's a beautiful writer too. Just, just artful. Um, the, the physical book that I'm reading is the sentence by Louise Erdrich. I have not read her before. Somehow she has completely missed my shelves and it's 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 one of those things where i'm reading and i'm thinking like oh why didn't somebody sit me down and shove this into my hands and and make me read something of hers before uh will be the 
not the last I read of hers. Um, I notably, though, had a a whole Cormac McCarthy session over over the summer, as as I'm sure many of you know, he left this mortal coil in June, and I hadn't read anything of his at that point. Um, so in in rather quick succession, I read Blood Meridian, No Country for Old Men, and The Road, and was I, I think probably Blood Meridian of those three is the most noteworthy. I, I love No Country for Old Men. Um, have you still there? Yep. Okay. Uh, for the, for the at home audience, I just tried to get us an Emmy award by switching a camera angle. Uh, but yeah, I'm still here. I just wanted to give you the spotlight. You just disappeared there. All right. Um, loved No Country for Old Men. I, I loved the movie, which I had seen a couple times. Um, the I, I found that the 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 oftentimes you're quite frustrated with a movie's adaptation of a novel, regardless of which order you experience them in. In this case, I was really impressed with with both. Um. Blood Meridian, though, is is a very notable book. There is much written about it. Um, it was one of his earlier works. It is it's easily the most violent piece of culture I've ever come across in any in any format, and I struggled wow. with that. I'm not a big slasher movie guy, so I don't, I mean, I'm sure that there are things out there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who goes out looking for those things. I mean, I, I love a good action movie, uh, watch many of those with my teenage son. Uh, but this was hard for me to get through. I had to put it down a number of times, step away from it. It, it is, it's set in, you know, it's wild west. It is um, a. It follows an unnamed character. Uh, he only ever goes by the kid through the Southwest United States and northern Mexico as they basically go around scalping. Uh, uh, they get paid to scalp, and sometimes they they're pretty indiscriminate with who they scalp, and and it's it's it is a. It's essentially a portrait of genocide, I would say, um, in in extremely graphic detail. There are are number of people who have called it the the great American novel. I, you know, for my personal aesthetics, it's not what I. So I'm very conflicted. I'm very conflicted about this book, and I could talk probably longer than than really needed at this point. But it's it's. It was difficult, but I also feel like there's a lot of important themes in it. There are a lot of it's unflinching in its depiction of some pretty horrible things. And I have the luxury of approaching it as a work of fiction from the comfort of my home here in Northern California. The the the, the scenes depicted though are things that are in the ancestral memories of indigenous people of of mexicans of of you know many people in that part of the country who who can you know trace their roots back through that time 
And, you know, part of me is, you know, I just, every opinion that I form about it is immediately countered with, it's like, well, you need to, you need to know these things. You need to learn, you you, you need to be able to look these truths in the face in an, in an unflinching manner. Um, but, but I flinched. I did, I did a lot of, I did a lot of flinching and I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like if if I personally and it's absurd for me to try to compare <laughs> to to, revi- to revise McCarthy, but I feel like the maybe the point could have been made with in in a less graphic, less brutal manner. But but maybe not. Maybe that's just me trying to avert my eyes, trying to invoke my white male privilege at at you know not maybe i'm burying my head in the sand so sure anyway all, all of which is to say that it is it, it is a a very noteworthy and compelling book um i don't know if i liked it or not <laughs> i think it's I'm, I'm glad that i read it i'm glad to know about it but it, it normally i it i i guess i guess i i guess i would be reading it or will have read it for reasons that are different than what I normally read. But this is all in retrospect. My confusion right now is a, a, a perfect, <laughs> a perfect extension of kind of the, the conflicted feelings that I got from reading it. I have a, I have a question because people have both recommended and told me to stay away from Hubert Selby Jr.'s um, Requiem for a Dream. Have you seen that? I saw the movie. Yeah. Okay. I have not seen it. And I've just like, I had to, without knowing really much about it, put a, um, a promise to people that I wouldn't watch it. But when I hear you talking about blood Meridian, I'm kind of reminded of what it sounds like. My response might be the Requiem for a dream. Many, many years ago, I saw that movie. It was also difficult from just a a visceral that squirming flinching standpoint i i think that the themes mccarthy tackles in this particular work are are probably more i i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that because it's been so long since i've since i've seen that movie i was going to try to make a comparison between the 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 themes and and their relevance to modern society and to the decisions that that we're making as we go forward to combat in one case you know addiction and in the other case racism um yeah it probably doesn't make sense to draw a comparison but but yes both both physically difficult pieces of culture to to fully engage in well, I will uh, process your evaluation and not take it as a recommendation and not uh, feel like you're telling me it's one that I should definitely read, but I will perhaps defer to the hard work that you may have done in processing it to be the proxy process for me. Definitely memorable. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> How about I you? Feel, I feel like... In my time in publishing, there have been a couple of books that I've had to read that I may not recommend for everybody, and I still am held captive by certain scenes and certain moments 
And when you recognize that power that literature can have, it's good to acknowledge it, but especially in my super old age, I'm definitely of a, my ability to process and synthesize those types of things is diminished compared to what it might have been in the 20s and 30s. It's, you know, I got a, a memory bank kind of jammed up with a bunch of stuff. And so right now, I'm not trying to introduce other things that just are going to depress me and hit me over the head. As far as me, uh, I cannot or have not been able to read anything in paper lately just because I've been reading a lot of client work and some of that has been uh, in paper or, or the written word, I guess, and reading. So I haven't had any just reading for pleasure that way. Audiobook, though. I picked up a book by Philip K. Dick. I had read something that intrigued me. Someone was talking about his deeper catalog. And Philip K. Dick is an author that I hadn't read before, and one that somewhere along the lines I'd kind of formed an opinion that I probably wouldn't like that. Or everyone talks about Philip K. Dick, and like, I need to be a hipster and not talk about Philip K. Dick and not be engaged with this stuff. But somehow I got to a description for the book Valis or Valis, I'm not sure which it is. Uh, it is so damn amazing and I love it so much. And you probably would have a hard time getting it published today if it just if it showed up on my desk in my capacity as an acquiring editor. I'd be like, yeah, this is great, but there's no way that this is going to get through uh, pub board and get approved for publication. But it is so good, and it is weird, and it is self-referential, and it goes back and forth between third-person fiction and first-person narrative nonfiction, and it just sort of seamlessly does that as long as you don't stop to say, well, you can't do that. And this is a case of where people talk about there are rules in writing and that sometimes it's okay to break the rules, but you have to understand the rule and it has to have a point. And this feels like one of those situations. It is so beautifully written. It is so devastatingly rendered. And the elasticity with which we have to approach the subject matter to really consider it from all angles, really test the brain. And uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've The last couple of months, I've actually noticed that my brain is firing on more cylinders, and I'm having more clarity. And I'm uh, my ability to find words, my ability to understand concept and how to translate it from my thoughts to my speech has really increased of late. And I think it's good that it has because it has allowed me a chance to enjoy a book like this and get rid of the publisher devil on my shoulder or the book critic devil on my shoulder or the bookseller devil on my shoulder that's like, you can't do that. It's just like, no, let's just 
just zone out and see what this dude has to say and what he's written and how that might apply to our own strange lives. So big endorsement there. Quite a recommendation. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I don't have any problem recommending it. And I'd be curious for any of the collaborists who have read Blood Meridian or Vallis Bayless or any Philip K. Dick uh, to put your thoughts in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're just listening to this in your car, yeah, just mutter some things out the window maybe about your hot take and we'll call it there. And if it reaches us, cool. But if it doesn't, you'll have to go to YouTube. Mutter loudly. Mutter, yeah. Raise your mutter as it happens to be. Uh, So again, backing up. Hey, hi. Hope you had a wonderful summer. We have been really busy doing collaborist things. And um, it's been really exciting because we've been working with a wide variety of clients doing a wide variety of work. And I'm just wondering, like, what's what's been your highlight, Jay? Well, yeah, you, we there has been a real a real variety of projects, and and we wanted to discuss them not just to talk about ourselves and what we've been up to, but as a way of answering some questions out there about the kind of start to finish editorial process, the whole the whole workflow, which I realized we did not do in season one, which would have been kind of an obvious choice for an episode. But um, starting with, you know, our the, the buckets of services, I guess we would begin with coaching. Coaching is what we do to help an author get either to a, a solid conception, a solid outline, or that first draft. So it's, it's kind of the work that we do before, before editing. I mean, it's all, you could consider it all editing. These are not hard and fast boundaries between things. But coaching tends to be a lot more conversational, a lot more chit-chatty, a lot more talking about work than really maybe being immersed in in the words on the paper. Um, you've got a couple of coaching clients that you've been working with, yeah? Yeah, I love it because what we'll do often is just look at the first 2,000 words, 5,000 words. And I can kind of go over a variety of things that a longer thing like a manuscript evaluation or developmental edit might get into. But if for people who are earlier in the process or know that something just isn't right and they need to work on it for their next draft, but they're not ready for those other things, we can talk about like, is this an effective opening? Does this grab the reader? If not, why? If not, how would you change it? How would you adjust it? And we can talk about just within those opening pages, you can see particular types of errors pop up. You can see them happen a few times and realize eh, if it's happening 10 times in the first 30 pages, it's probably going to happen throughout the rest of the book. So let's talk about why this isn't good, how to address it, how to spot it when you go through your manuscript. And then we can kind of talk about in looser terms, someone can tell me like, well, this is what my book's about, or this is what happens. And then I can ask questions as somebody who hasn't read it, but is intrigued by a story. 
how do you handle this? Is this discussed? And you can just kind of, it's generative in its ideas and being able to be helpful without being a, a really big investment of time or money or anything like that. But it's a way to not feel alone when you have a book and you want to talk about it with somebody, you want to have another ear. Yeah. Or even if you just have a book idea. So what you were just describing there would be fairly focused on developing the pages themselves. Um, we also, as do many coaches work on just helping you with ideas that are outlines at the, at the, at the kind of the beginning phase. Speaking of which are, uh, so we're, going to be talking about some actual client projects just because those are kind of front and center in our minds, but we are not going to share names. We're going to anonymize. So our, our, our friend who bought us Chinese food in Seattle in exchange for a, a brainstorming session, he finished that draft and um, is going to be sending that over to us to take a look. So this was uh, back in, in was it AWP in March. June now? March. March. June, how did I get March? I don't know. A half a year. We were, we were way deep already into our New York Times bestseller classes in June. <laughs> I don't, we didn't have time <laughs> for that. We were too busy cashing June, checks. March, December, whenever it was, 2020. Um, anyway, yes, we, we had a, a, a long, a, a prolonged dinner where we just stress tested this this author's ideas he was the very beginning of a draft he had all these ideas and and questions about what direction it should go in we all just sat down and over some delicious chinese food talked through every possible the, the flow chart of well if this character does this then what this and then what does he have to do later and then how does how could how would this work if i have him do this if this relationship is this way then what is the implications does that have for Act two, act three, et cetera. That was a honest, lot of fun. If I'm honest, yeah, that's my favorite thing to possibly do because I love playing the what if game. I love just doing the psychological stress testing of characters. Like yeah. what is a motive? What is a reason? What is a backstory? And for me, I feel very much like if you can test people and just say, what is this? What is this? When, where did this come from? And if people know that, then I believe that they actually know their characters and I know if they're going to tell an effective story. If I ask you a question, if you're talking to me about your character and I was like, where did they grow up? And you don't know, then you don't know your character because where they grew up, how they grew up, who they grew up around directly informs who they are in the present or when the activity is happening. And so I am a nerd and a stickler and unapologetically so for you need to understand your characters. And to that end, we've got a client, Amanda, who is out in the, in the world, who is working on her book. And I've been, and, and I've talked to Amanda, I'm going to see if we can get her on the podcast to do this, uh, to have this conversation. But Amanda has been working on her novel for, I'm going to say a decade. It's been a while. Um, and when it first came to me, it came at a very early stage. And I had been talking about how important it is to understand your characters and to just like keep pulling on that. And longtime listeners to the podcast know that I am perhaps an over writer that way. But she's doing that work now. 
and the things that she is discovering about her characters. And then she tells me about it. I love it so much. It's just, it's like, I could not be prouder or happier to see someone just really dig into their characters in a way that she thought she knew them before. And now she's really, really going into it. And just having those kinds of conversations, I could do that all day. If anyone wants to just call and talk about their characters and their books, like that is my favorite thing in the world to to do when it comes to the editorial stuff. And like you said, it is it you get a lot of bang for your buck for your for your editorial dollar when you get into you know full full manuscript edits and things things can get up into the multiple four figures pretty quickly but in you know these coaching i had you know i had a let's call her winifred um <laughs> this was a a former a, a client of ours for whom i did a full developmental edit so she had a a complete draft written. She was looking for some structural feedback. Developmental editing, for those who aren't aware of the term, is kind of the first round of editing that you do after you have that first draft. And it is an examination of, of structure. Uh, if it's a novel, then look at character arcs and pace and tension and those sorts of things, as opposed to the line edit, which is grammar syntax you know that's kind of what when a lot of people think of editing they think of their grade school teachers with their red pen that's kind of the line editing level where it's you're kind of looking at the way that that sentences work on the page as opposed to how ideas are laid out i i always talk about there being like the developmental edit if you're looking at how like building a house developmental edit is like is the foundation level is the plumbing working correct? Is the electrical working okay? The line edits like, do I like this color of paint on the wall? Is there a scratch here that I need to cover up? That's all basic. That's all fine tuning stuff with that needs to be done at some point, but it cannot be done before the developmental edit gets done. Like you need to make sure that the blueprint, the foundation, all of that stuff is working the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. So Winifred had done her uh, done developmental edit with us and then was out shopping it around, put together a query a proposal. This was a, a, a nonfiction project and was shopping it around and and in the process of that came to have some some questions about her her overall structure. So we spent an hour earlier this week just talking about different ideas for how she might restructure her manuscript so obviously that takes that 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 requires the a level of of curiosity and willingness to really do some some heavy work on on the author's end um, if, if you've written a manuscript, novel, nonfiction, whatever it is and you you really like what shape it's in then don't get a developmental edit because your developmental editor might say to you, what if you completely changed all of these things around and made the, you know, or it, there could be significant. I've come out of develop, you know, I've, I, I had an hour long developmental conversation with an editor. And then I spent about five years <laughs> working on what I got in that one hour. There was a, a pandemic in, in, in the meantime. You know, there, it wasn't. 
I'm not going to claim that it was five years of steady, uninterrupted work because it was utter chaos for a lot of reasons. But but, but what if is a big question. Um, what if can open up a lot of trap doors and rabbit holes? Definitely. So, um, you know, just hour here and hour there. Let's let's chat about some characters, stress test some things, and and I I love doing that too. I find that it really can can lead to some big breakthroughs for for authors it can really unlock you know it when i have been on the receiving end of of these kind of early stage rounds of feedback whether it was you know this particular hour that i'm talking about or um a series of coaching calls that i did um for in preparation for a nonfiction manuscript that I'm, I'm I want to work on, it was it really mind opening. Really gave me a lot of confidence in in the direction I was going in, and and pointed out some directions I don't want to go in. And just just and and again, not expensive, not super time consuming. It's a great way to really get some strong feedback to. And a lot of momentum, holding. inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Then we get into the editing, developmental editing, line editing. There are other types of editing that you and I don't do. Uh, technical editing. I'm not Techn even a line editor. Like you do not want me being a line editor. I, <laughs> I am not. I am not the one you are seeking. I like line editing. I, I like. I like. I, I. I wouldn't want to do it all day, every day. I wouldn't want to do that exclusively. But I do like, you know, there is some some methodical detail oriented part of me that just likes going through. And I was the, the, the project that we you and I were both looking at today. There are, you know, Microsoft Word does the smart quotes. You've got like the regular parallel quote and then the, and yeah. then the curvy quote. I, I couldn't let those regular quotation marks sit in. I had to go through. That. That's not even line editing. That's just neurosis but <laughs> but that gets into technical editing into copy editing and proofreading which if you're looking for that those are those are types of editing that are really in preparation for publishing if you have a traditional publishing contract that those are services that the publisher is going to provide absolutely if you have purchased a self-publishing contract from somebody a self-publishing service those probably should be included if they aren't then they should be talking to you about how to make sure you get those because those are the steps that ensure you don't have typos the spacing is all exactly right and then and then proofreading is once it's transferred from typically microsoft Word, the industry standard over to uh, is it adobe indesign you would know more about about what design is used used to yeah. be quark back in the day once it gets transferred over to there, you need someone to look at it again, and that's that's proofreading. And I don't have the first clue about what 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 those guys do or how they do I it. I know that sometimes they read sentences backwards so that you don't start making assumptions and getting like blindness to errors. So it's just like reading it one word at a time backwards. It's it's a dark art. It is not one that I have <laughs> any ability to have. I'm immune. I am immune to proofreading. Uh, going back real quick, just uh, something you said. If you are self-publishing or doing hybrid publishing and you have contracted with a company, I, and I would say, yes, if you are contracting with a company, then you're not really self 
publishing, maybe in the understanding. If you do that, services, I think they call those. It's, yeah, it, well, it gets into a really gray or murky. Yeah, it gets into a really murky area, and there are all kinds of ethical, ethically deficient people involved. And so, I I am not besmirching the whole thing, but I'm just saying that I know that there are a lot of predatory things. And what I just wanted to say was that if you are contracting and someone says that they are going to provide these services to you, be it a developmental edit, be it line editing, copy editing, proofreading. Like all things in life, not all people performing the services have been created equally. And you should make sure you know who is working on your book and what their qualifications are. Because if someone tells you they're going to proofread, but they don't really know what they're doing, it's not really helpful. It's just, it's not. So it's okay for you to say, who are you? What are your qualifications? Why are you doing this? And if you show up to me, and I've got editor on the business card, the business card that doesn't really exist. But if you did, and you said, hey, I need you to proofread this, I would tell you right away, like, doesn't matter how much money you want to pay me to do this. It's a waste of your money and I'm not going to take it. But I think that I probably have awareness of the limitations of my skill set and I have a moral compass. And so I'm not going to just be like, yeah, I can, I'll do that. So just ask questions just as a, as a side note, if you are going somewhere else and you are getting these services, just make sure you know who is performing these services for you. And consider also the question of motive. You and I have have seen before cases where there were editors who were looking to rush a project through. So this was a, a, a client that you and I have both worked with who had a self-publishing package and had purchased a, a an assessment from said self-publishing company yeah just to be clear this is not this is not a collaborative self-publishing thing that doesn't exist this was they right they had contracted outside of us yes and and the the editor came to this author and said oh this is great yeah let's 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 move it through the pipeline and um you in particular were working on this project through different channels and took a look at it and had a very different opinion. Yeah, I said, this is not ready to go. This will be profoundly uh, poorly received if you try to get this out into the marketplace. And anyone who tells you that this is ready is just trying to sell you. It's trying to, it's trying to move something through the pipeline. They're trying to, to rush you through and wrap up a service so that they can get somebody else moving through there. So um, be, be careful. And sometimes you have to really advocate for yourself you have to if you have doubts and misgivings about your own manuscript if if there's somebody at you know selling you one of these services telling you oh no it's great it's fine it's it's great as is they might not have the quality of your manuscripts as their as their primary goal and they may not even be able to evaluate it even if they did have your if they could be well intended and still be ill qualified True. I'm going to get a shirt made that says well-intended and ill-qualified. I like that. <laughs> Would apply to, I think we'd have a big market for that one. Yeah. Um, beyond editing, then we get into writing services, which fall into two categories. One would be doctoring and the other ghost writing. 
these are at the at the the high end of the fee structure um, because your this is essentially authors who are transferring the 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 responsibility for doing the actual work to professional writers, professional editors. I love doing this kind of work as well. Um, it, it doctoring is when someone comes to you with a manuscript and or let's say you're the let me let me change roles around you're the author you have a manuscript that you've written but you need for it to be different in some manner maybe better maybe shorter maybe longer maybe have a slightly different focus and you do not have the time ability inclination whatever it might be to to do that yourself so you, you just want to leave it on the fire station's doorstep and say somebody else do this. <laughs> well, with the difference is that you're coming back for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're coming back for it. You're not giving it away. You are still the author. All uh, all this writing work is behind the scenes. There are co-author agreements out there. There are you know this author with you know in, in some celebrity memoirs like i think jim ruland's book recently was it was something and then with jim ruland right yeah it was a book that that he wrote on behalf of someone else but you know for for the work that we do it's it's entirely behind the scenes your name is the only name that's going to be on that book cover you get all of the fame and glory and royalties and publicity and whatever else comes with it notoriety perhaps but um yeah it's 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 with doctoring you've written something with ghostwriting you you haven't you don't have anything down yet and you're like i i need this book written whether it's for my business uh, oftentimes that's what i find with with ghostwriting is that it's somebody with a busy life for whatever reason and you know these are not people whose goal is to be you know, these, this is not the, the subset of authors who are like, I really want to master this craft. These are people who might say, I'm really busy with this business. I know that if I had a book out there, it would really drive more business to me. It would help me to establish my brand. It would help me to establish myself as an expert in this field. Um, celebrities, you know, celebrity memoirs, they're busy doing whatever made them a celebrity they're in the first place. Yeah, they're 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 full time celebrity, and they're not going to sit down and figure out sentence structures and active versus passive voice. They're going to pass that on to someone else and say, "Here you go, write my story." And um, yeah, we do a good bit of that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we've worked with retired professional athletes, retired executives, people who are trying to make a difference in the world who, like Jason said, just don't have the time or the inclination, but do have a story that they want to tell. And it's an honor to be invited into that process and to get to know people and to help them, in some cases, understand what their story is. Some people show up and they know that they've lived an eventful life. They know that they have something to share with the world but it's all kind of a jumbled mess internally. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's a time to stress test your story, your memoir. Who are you? What do you have to say? What do you think you have to say? But what do you really have to say? And that sometimes is one-to-one -one the same. And other times when you really start digging into it, people have a different story they want to tell. And it needs a starting point. It needs to be talked out. And 
I sometimes think that what we are doing is essentially unlicensed therapy through the lens of editing and writing because we're getting to understand who a person is and what they want to say and supporting them in their journey to say it and, and how they say it. There's a reason why the word narrative is used so frequently in a therapeutic context. I think, you know, we very much define ourselves and understand ourselves through the stories that we tell about ourselves. Um, and, Absolutely. And writing, writing memoir. I've, I rarely see fiction ghost writing requests. Most, most of what I see in for ghost writing or doctoring is, is nonfiction. And people are are either writing about themselves or something that they are are very passionate about in the world and want to change. And so it really is, it gets at these things that are very important to people. I agree with you one hundred percent. And I have been spending too much time on Reddit lately, especially in some of the subreddits that are dedicated to writing and publishing. And every now and then someone will pop up and be like, I have a great idea for a novel. I need someone to be my writing partner on it because I'm not a writer. And uh, they're essentially looking for a ghostwriter to write a novel based on a story. And, you know, I think most people who are inclined to write fiction, no one is taking that on a speculative nature. If you're going to be a ghostwriter, you're getting paid to do it. So like, the, yeah, we'll split the profits later once we've hit the New York Times bestseller list, which, you know, plug for our summer long course system there. <laughs> um, but I just, and I want to cover this in a future episode as a kind of a message to people who might be digging around in the writing world for the first time. But I want to talk again later episode about why ideas are a dime a dozen when it comes to a book. Like people who aren't part of the writing process generally who think I've got a great idea and that that is 50% of the work. No, you could, I you could hit a stopwatch right now and in the next 10 minutes i could come up with 50 ideas for books all of them would be totally fascinating and you would all <laughs> definitely want to pre-order the books but the thing is the books aren't going to get written because even those 50 ideas are just off the top of my head and i've got other projects that i'm really more invested in i had someone once someone who is you know in a whole different field she found out that i was a writer and i and i think that her conception of writers is that I just have this skill set. And if somebody would just give me something to write about, then I'd be able to go and 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 do this. And so she said, Oh, you should write about my my boyfriend's former sexual exploits. Like they're they're so fascinating. <laughs> and I no, I'm good. Yeah, I just I, I loved the the thought that I was just like, man, I'm you know here here I'm I just I have no ideas of my own. <laughs> <laughs> if only i had some interesting stories of someone else's knew, that i could tell yeah and only i knew people who had done stuff <laughs> uh one thing that i wanted to say is that we 
should probably wrap this episode up because one of the things starting with season two, folks, is that we are going to try and keep episodes shorter, more compact, more bite-sized, more morsel-inclined, and probably even pull some shorts, some Instagram reels, some TikToks from it to just give you the straight-up one minute of advice in an episode so that like you don't have to sit through everything because that sounds very troubling for some folks. And so we want to just ease the frictions there. But another thing, too, as that we mentioned months ago before we did the New York Times thing, we are going to be having guests on the podcast to talk about hyper-specific issues and their thoughts on them. And so in the future, if there is something that you would like covered or there's a particular guest that you would like to join us here on CollaboraCast, we would certainly pursue it and consider it. And we, we thank you for that. We've already turned down at least two people who were looking at the podcast as a sales venue for themselves, an advertising venue. And when we asked some clarifying questions, gave a little bit of pushback, turns out that people aren't as excited to have an actual conversation about things when it's not just a platform and a bullhorn. So to wrap up today's episode, if you might be interested in coaching or editing, shoot us a note, info at collaborist.org. We don't do the copy editing and the proofreading, but we know people who do. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, reach out to us. We'll connect you. Another type of coaching that many authors look for is platform building. Nonfiction authors in particular are looking to build platform, looking to, to create ways to become parts of the conversation in the, the greater world to develop an audience before they uh, a proposal or a book comes out. We know people who do that kind of thing too. If any of those things are, are of interest to you, do some, do some research, shoot us a note. We'd be happy to help. All right. Uh, if you found this episode interesting, please feel free to like and subscribe wherever you got it. Tell a friend. And um, we'll see you next week. For story. For community. Collaborate. Season two, maybe.